You ask a multimillionaire with a full calendar how available they are? Impossible. Every freaking movie is about the busy dad. Even that Peter Pan hook movie is about the busy dad. It's classic and it's a choice. That is the problem. Hey, it's Rob. As an entrepreneurial couple, I know how difficult it is to find other like-minded couples to hang out with, have fun, and talk business. So, my wife and I created what we think is the best solution in the world to fix this challenge. We created the Work Hard, Play Hard experience. Three times per year, we get high-performing entrepreneurial couples out of the day-to-day grind of running their businesses and drop them into luxury bucket list experiences that allow them to connect and collaborate in a natural way with other entrepreneurial couples. After doing many of these experiences, we've learned that when you put the right people in once in a lifetime incredible environments, magic happens. We'll be going to the Swiss Alps in February, the French Riviera in June, and Marrakesh, Morocco in November. Go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on the call to see if it's a fit for you. All right, let's jump into today's show. Richie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much. This is going to be a blast. I appreciate it. <laughs> you are so welcome. You know, it's it's interesting because whenever I have someone who recommends that somebody be on my show, um, whom I really respect, like Shalene and Brett Johnson, I do it because they know me and they know you and they say you, it's going to be a good date. So, uh, <laughs> so, so here we are. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh yeah. I've been really looking forward to it and I love seeing what you're doing in the world and it's just inspiring, man. So it's an honor. Well, we have, uh, we have a lot of commonalities and we're going to get into, uh, all of that. So I think the first place I want to take this is, you know, they say you should never talk about religion and politics, but what the hell I'm going to do it anyway. You, you are a Mormon and I love Mormons. I have a Mormon thing. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out, but I have never, ever met a Mormon that I don't like. Why are Mormons so freaking nice? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just... It's not that all Mormons are nice. It's that you're so nice. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so easy to love you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, 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 I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. I can, I can feel it. I know when somebody, like, as I'm doing my research for you, I'm like, I knew it. I knew that's he so was a funny. Mormon. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. You know, I, I think uh, we're, all just, we're all just doing our best. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really care about what I do and, and trying to help other people. And, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You you got a good vibe too, brother. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Well, you know, in in what ways do you think being raised Mormon 
from, you know, sort of like a philosophical perspective, you just wrote a book uh, that we're going to get into called Anti-Time Management. But was there something in your upbringing, because I know a lot of Mormons have big families. um, Was there something in your upbringing that sort of like, you know, your dad was an entrepreneur, um, you have this Mormon background. Was there something in that that formed this particular anti-time management because it because it's not a book which we'll get into that's about how to effectively manage your time you're really trying to teach people how to live right so how do you think that that background or your background affected the work that you're doing today you know one of the one of the strongest beliefs i think that that we have is choice that no one's forced, that you have the opportunity to choose your path. Like that is the greatest battle, you know, agency to be, to be able to decide what you want to do, where you're going to go, how you're going to do it. And sure, some paths will lead to places you want them to go and some paths won't. And when I was writing anti-time management and when I studied time management, I realized that a lot of people, they think that what they're doing will lead them one place when it never will. Like Aristotle. How do you, how uh, do you mean? How do you mean? Un, un, unpack, unpack that a little bit for me. So for, so for example, Aristotle, he called, he had this thing called the, the theory of four causes. And the last cause was final cause. The idea is that an acorn becomes an oak tree. Well, if you don't plant acorns <laughs> and you're planting something else, it's going to become something else. So what I realized is, as I was like, you know, I, I am, I'm a family person. I love, I love people and I love my wife. And I love my, my children. And I grew up in a, a really happy, healthy environment. And it was entrepreneurial and it was very like, help those who are in need and do your best to, you know, be an example. And my dad was really heavy into helping the underdog, you know, so it was, this, it was, a service-based value system, and it still is. And as I studied, I mean, I can get, I can go into some more personal stuff in a second, but as far as time management's concerned, when I realized after my, my brother-in-law had passed away, my son had passed away, you know, we had foster kids that came and went. My, my wife lost her memory. She had a stroke. She got, she got her memory back. My kid was hit by a car. I realized that everything we've been taught about time management from business was never going to give us the freedom that we wanted because time management was never designed for freedom. It was designed to measure every drop of blood, sweat, and tears that, that you have. So it's for workers so they could be more, quote unquote, productive. So when I say people are doing things that won't lead them to where they want to go, an entrepreneur will, a worker person, a salaried person, a wage rate person, all of us, very successful people, millionaires, including billionaires that I've met personally and interviewed, they'll think they're doing one thing and they think they're sacrificing everything for that thing only to find out they're never going to get it. So someone will leave a job to become an entrepreneur so they can have more time, freedom, availability. They can live somewhere in the world only to find out that they sacrificed their family and their time and their freedom and lost it to the business. So when I say 
Like, don't time your values, value your time. I look at people like you who are like, you know, I want to live internationally. I want to travel with my family. So you are, and you've built a business around it to support it. Where most people will say, one day I will do that. And they'll build this trap. And they try, they, they trade one trap for another. And they eventually get to where they thought they'd be. And they realize, oh my gosh, I still need more time. I still need more education. I still need more of this. My, my kids are older. And so the idea is to bake your values in from the start. A cake without sugar doesn't turn out sweet. And I know you don't have to use sugar. I know you can use other things. But if you think you're going to live a life that's going to be full of value and your values, but you don't put them in from the start, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I want to dig in a little bit to sort of this concept of time management. We're going to, we'll bounce around lots of different places as, as conversations do. You know, when I think about the word time management, I think of, I get this picture of somebody with like a lasso. Like he's like, they're trying to control something. You know what I mean? So at eight o'clock, I'm going to do this at nine o'clock. I'm going to do that. But the older I get, I'll be 56 in two months. And the older I get, the more I realize that sometimes things just happen. (laughs) Like no matter how much I willed a vision, a plan, a wrestled, I'm going to do this at eight o'clock for three hours. Sometimes the universe just has another plan. And so I go like, you know, let's call that on the left-hand side of the spectrum, right? Controlling it. I'm going to do this at eight o'clock, this at nine o'clock. But then on the opposite, you know, you're in Hawaii. So you're, you're surrounded by hippy dippy types, right? They're all over the place. And they're like, very very chill, right? Mm -hmm. Very chill. Like, let's just let things happen the way they happen. Right. And so the entrepreneur in me goes, dude, you better get a, you better get a day planner and get your shit together. Right. But then the other side of me looks and says, I don't know. Like, where's the sweet spot between the trying to control your time and trying to just let things happen? Great, great question. So management does mean control. That is the definition of the word. So when we say time management, we're saying time control. But we're not saying you can control your time. And we're not saying that bad things won't happen. What we're saying is, it's actually ask a better question, get a better answer. It's who controls your time? So in time management, this is, this is the trick. This is where we're, we're all falling as far as it, through this lens. In time management, who controls your time? They control your time. In anti-time management and the time tipping methodology, you control your time. That's the difference. So the idea that we're, it's, it's bizarre that the word time management even entered the self-help vernacular. It's not meant for personal development. It's the opposite. It is not meant ever for personal development. It never was, but we've adopted it that way. And so our language needs to change. So the, the better question is, what's the job of the goal? Because to me, we need to move beyond goals. We need to move beyond habits. We need to move beyond strengths. And you'd be like, oh, that's crazy. You go, we're obsessed, obsessed as a culture with goals, habits, and strengths. But those are means. They're means to where you want to land. But we've made these means ends unto themselves. Covey never said, begin with means in mind. He said, begin with the end in mind. So once you realize 
what's the job of the goal? Then this question of how do I manage my time or what do I do? Am I doing the hustle grind like crazy? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I hate my life that I'm working so hard that one day I'm going to like it. That, that whole thing disappears. Because if the goal of the goal, the job of the goal is to hang out with your family, there's 10,000 ways to work to make that happen. Yeah. But we've chosen the one that won't allow it to happen until later. So I had an accountant say he wanted to have more time with his family and he's going to quit. He's making 250 grand a year. And we're talking about, he goes, I'm going to start a gym. Goes, cool, man. He goes, I'm going to start two. He knows the numbers. He has to make, have two for to, to, to win. And I'm like, and your goal is, and he's like, I want to live two months out of the year in Italy. Awesome. Now you and I know you don't have to like necessarily leave your job or have a gym to live in Italy for two months. You, this is not a thing you have to do. He's making this up. We make things up. So then I go, cool, man. So how old are your, how old are your kids? Oh, they're 13 and 15. Wait, wait. And how long is this going to take for this to work out? Five years. Oh, so when your kids are 18 and 20, I was nicer to the guy that I am here, but so when you're 18 and 20, you're finally going to have time to like go to Italy with your family. And then he's like, oh, so, so, then, so then once you realize that you could have a gym, but hire someone to run it. He said, he's a micromanager. I'm like, so you're going to be the one that wakes up in the morning to open the doors and make sure they're locked at night. Hmm. That's a really interesting lifestyle you decided for yourself. That's a very interesting lifestyle. Not the one you, you said you wanted to have, but he told right. himself we needed to because we adopt time management practices from work. We're literally back in the day. It, 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 people don't realize that it was an actual invention by Frederick Taylor back in you know the late 1800s, early 1900s. Scientific management was an actual invention. They would study people. And the goal was, how fast can someone move bricks? How far can they move their body? How long do they need to stay in one spot? Had nothing to do with, can this person have a better uh, experience in life? <laughs> nothing to do with that. Right. So we're, we're all going through life. I mean, you and I sort of, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bridge the, the role. Like you and I lead very different and unique lives. You're in Hawaii writing books on anti-time management. Um, looking out at, you know, a 700 year old church outside my window right now, you know, because like, so like, but I'm, but I'm, but I know that the person who's driving down the road or on the treadmill right now, it it perhaps is not in that situation. And they're, you know, listening to us and they're, they're trying to figure out, well, how, how do I do that? Right. How do I, how, how do I navigate my way around it? So let's see if we can, you know, back our way into that. You, you mentioned we're obsessed with goals, habits, and uh, strengths. And, you know, as you said it, you know, I'm going Stephen Covey, by the way, another Mormon, you know, yep. uh, begin, begin with the end in mind, right? I got him in my head. And then I, then the other one that came to mind is atomic habits, right? And then, uh, then there's the strength finders test. So I can literally name a book for each thing that you're talking about. You're right. We are obsessed with goals, habits, and strengths. Do you think that we are because we are in? I'm going to I'm going to continue to use the word control because I feel like that's what it is. Do Do you feel like that's why we're obsessed with you know reading Atomic Habits and you know buying another Brian Tracy book because we're trying to you know uh, we're trying to control our destiny. We're trying to manifest things. Do you think that that's why this is happening? I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think though. I'm not, I don't, I, I also am obsessed with goals, 
habits and strengths. They're not bad. They're tools. They're means. They're choices. They're not the reason. They're not the why. Oh, I'm going to get really good at a habit. What if it's the wrong habit? It's not even a bad habit. Yeah. (laughs) So like, 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 it's really important to understand. For example, like, yeah, Covey was a mentor of mine. Brian Tracy endorsed my last book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. I'm obsessed with these books that are doing so well and selling like, like crazy. We're obsessed with them because they work. But the idea is, what's the intent? Like, you can use a hammer for a lot of things. But what if a hammer is not needed? So like they would say back in the day, you can get really efficient at digging a hole. But did you really have to do it with a shovel? Couldn't it be done with a bulldozer? Did you need a hole at all? That's what I'm saying. So when you think beyond, literally, when you think beyond goals, habits, and strengths, you ultimately have way more choices. Because once you realize that what you're really trying to do is this thing, well, now you have not just one or two tools to use. You have many to choose from and you can get in alignment. So when I wrote The Power of Starting Something Stupid, it did well. I mean, it's like in 10 different languages. Brene Brown blogged about it. It blew up, man. I'm I'm very grateful, very grateful. But what I realized is people would call me, I'm the stupid guy. You look up, you know, stupid Richie and, and I'm everywhere. What I realized was people would say they wanted to start, I'll just use a random example. They'll say they want to start a pencil company. That's not necessarily real, although actually it, it is real too. But at the end of the day, they'll say they want to start this pencil company and it's cool. You know, it's not hard, hard in quotes to like identify a market, see if they can pay for it, introduce it to them, have them pay for it and run it up to scale. That's, that's just that's business. Every freaking coach and consultant can, and entrepreneur can say, here's how you scale your business. Charge more. Work with less people. Work with more people. Charge less. And here's how you're going to run ads to it. Cool, man. Great. Great. But that wasn't the problem. When they were successful, they'd say at the other end, and you know this, you've met all these people too. Oh, I'm busier than ever. I did this so I'd have more time. I did this so I could travel. I did this, yeah, so I could have more money. And I have more money, but I don't have what I wanted. If you would just ask one more question, what's the job of my pencil business? Oh, so I can do X, Y, Z? Well, then you would do X, Y, Z. You build the castle and then the moat. The castle is the dreams. You live from the dream, not endlessly toward it. Goals, habits, and strengths are endlessly leading towards somewhere in the distant future where you know You may never get it because of circumstance. Because of circumstance, things that are outside of your control. But when you do it from the start, even if your project fails, you're successful because the reason you were doing it is is still the ability you have to do it right now. Hey, it's Rob. I wanna jump in and take a quick second to say you gotta get a coach. It just makes a difference. A coach can offer you perspective and accelerate your goals so much faster. If you wanna work with me, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application and we'll jump on a call. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, it, it also seems that there's a bit of a badge of honor that's associated with working really hard. Like people love the idea of 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been. I'm working harder than I've ever worked. And, you know, they're, they go from the, you know, Franklin Covey planner to the next planner to the next planner. And their, their, their identity is tied with how efficient they are with work and how much they can get done in a day, but they're no happier. They're just getting more work. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you asking that one extra question, uh, by the way, you know, it's funny that you and I haven't met before because my Mm -hmm. wife and I, um, have been using the phrase, we created this phrase and we call it stupid idea time. And, (laughs) and whenever we're stuck on something, we're like, you know, we're trying to figure this out. I don't know how to do it. We'll say, let's play stupid idea time. And stupid idea time is the permission that we give each other to just say the stupidest things that come to into our head. And we've built lots of businesses by playing stupid idea time. So I, I love, I, I love the fact that you did that. But, um, my question for you is why do you think that we have this badge of honor about working so damn hard? Well, working hard's a high. Mm. It feels so good when you're working hard. It is, it's fine. It's a high. What are you working for when you're high on work? That's what we get lost in. And then you get into a corporation, no joke, where 99% is work signaling and 1% working. So oh, no un- they, unpack that. What's that? So you go, so you go like, <laughs> I'm in the office late. So that my corner office boss can see that I'm here late. Instead of getting my work done on time, like a responsible person, I decided to stretch it out. And guess what? I get promoted. Work signaling. If you don't, if you, if you, if you have a calendar that's not full, then you look, I personally, in my experience, and also with working with so many people, a full calendar is an empty life. A full calendar is an empty life. And you can do a test. What's work-life balance? Well, balance means motionless. You don't want to be balanced. You want you know flexibility. What you really want is three things, autonomy, ability, and availability. So you ask yourself, how autonomous am I? Do I have to ask for permission? Yes or no? These aren't, these aren't good or bad. These aren't right or wrong. It's just a test. How able am I? Do I have the resources? Do I have the skill set? Like if I wanted to fly a helicopter, I couldn't. I don't have that license or whatever. If I, I can't be the pilot. But I could hire one. So uh, you get the idea like in every part of our life, some things we have less, quote unquote, controlled than others. Then you ask yourself, how available am I? You ask a multimillionaire with a full calendar how available they are? Impossible. Every freaking movie is about the busy dad. Even that Peter Pan hook movie is about the busy dad. <laughs> it's, it's classic and it's a choice. That is the problem. It's a Why, choice. You know, there is, you and I have made different choices, right? You're living in beautiful Hawaii. I'm in Italy. Um, I don't have nearly the calendar that I used to have. And I don't nearly have the calendar that most of my friends um, in the US, not Italy, that's a whole other conversation, but in the US um, have. Do you ever 
feel guilty or feel like you should be filling your calendar with more things? Or are you at a place in your life now where you've linked so much pleasure and <laughs> it feels so good that you, you, you can't go back the other way? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I know. I know what you're saying. And the guilt can be can be real. And also, I want to make sure people understand this isn't talking about being irresponsible in any way, shape or form. We're actually talking about hyper productivity, something you've never seen in your entire life, where, where all these things you've been working for years for get happen in months, where that project you thought would take the entire years get, gets done in days. And it's because of positive constraints you put around it. If you love calendar and calendar your heart out, but calendar in the job of the goal, not the goal. Because when you, when you, when you work from the castle and then you create these economic and strategic moats, you crowd out distractions. So you'll sit down with eight hours and you'll go, what do I do? <laughs> no one's more productive than a procrastinator with an impending deadline. You'll do heroic work the night before or the hours before the due date. So you know you can make things happen magically, almost instantly. So as far as, far as like guilt is associated with it or, or this or that, you know, I, I personally do my things by projects. And, and, you know, when someone says, well, I'm working for someone else, I can't control that. Sure, you chose that job. You can also choose another one. People were in jobs in America for only 4.6 years on average. So you, every five years, you get a chance to start over. Or you can choose to leave now. And what's interesting is today is that now that people have many choices, and this has never happened in the history of the world, even, even in the 20th century, even just literally 25 years ago, the switching costs were high. Yeah. Today, they're very, today they're very low. Yeah. And, and you're going to stay in a job and get a 3 to 4% raise where if you leave, you're going to get an extra 10, 20, $30,000 possibly on top of your current salary just for, for leaving. And they're not going to make you come into the office because the ones that do make you come to the office, you chose that. And that's cool. No right or wrong. But you can also choose because certain talented people are saying, no, I'm going to work from home and I can get more done. And certain companies are like, I respect that. That's the, that's the problem. We have so many choices, but we choose means over ends and make them ends unto themselves. Goals, you know, I think you've seen this too, like in my, my book and stuff, but goals from experience. Our tasks, goals outside experience, our growth. So back to the calendaring thing, you can plan all you want, but please plan the reason you're doing it, live it, it'll crowd out distractions. And even if you have less time to get the work done, you'll actually get it done possibly more effectually. I didn't say efficient or effective, I said effectually, because in that sense, you're actually living the essence of it and creating the essence of it and doing it, not just climbing up some some random thing and going, oh my gosh, I'm here. Oh, dang, I'm so far away. No, you're living your life from the start. Anyone can do this. It's a learnable skill and it might take some time. It depends on the situation, but you can be more available for the things you love instantly. Where do you think people go wrong with this? Is it that um, they just aren't asking those additional questions of why they want this? That's a good question. I, I'm tempted to say it's because it's unconscious, unconscious that we're, we're, we're doing, we go through the day, we do these things, but it's not true. Like someone listening to this spent 
hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and maybe 10, 12, 16 years of their life to have the job they have right now. It was specific. Mm. So I think it's, I think that a lot of times, first of all, sure, because of our upbringings, because of different things, we're all in different situations. But the opportunity of the 21st century, this is a new dynamic. Like the social and technological landscape has shifted so much that it does take a, a second to kind of open your eyes and go, oh, I, I can do things differently. And, and if you're successful, it's a leap because it's a, when, you're, when you're up here, it's a, the fall is, is, there's a greater distance. So some of the hardest people that have, um, some of the people that have the hardest time like switching to, to living without regret are the ones that are uber successful because they realize that their success did not get them what they wanted. It didn't get them it. it got them some money, but it didn't give them the life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, you've said life is short just because the phrase uh, is cliche doesn't make it less true. We have the freedom I'm reading. We have the freedom of geography, income, and time. We don't care about stuff. We own almost nothing. We're minimalists, but we do own our lives. We own our time. And I thought that was a really, really great quote. So I want to dig in a little bit to a few points on that. You mentioned you have freedom of geography, income, and time. For someone that is just starting out, how should they think about setting that up in their life? Freedom of geography, income, and time. So a lot of my worldview is put through the filter of hu humanity because of these, these tragedies that I've experienced in my life and also through, through pain. And I realized that you can create any world you want and yet you can't because there's a, a zillion factors that will prevent you from doing it. So you can play the blame game or you can do your best and you move forward. So when, when our foster kids, they, we have three of them. And when they came and went, we had them for two years. We were planning on adopting them. The system's wild. It hurt in, in, in different ways than death because in death, there's a finality. In, in life, when someone's gone and you love them, and they may be in dangerous situations and you can't do anything about it and you don't know where they are. It's a constant heartthrob in a bad way. So my wife and I, from the time we got married, we, we wanted to create a life where we could be available for our children and available to do different things. So it was an intent. But I'm going to be, be very specific. So someone can do this, whatever they want. You have to have what's called a, a forcing function, a positive constraint. And what this means is for me, I told myself, this is over 20 years ago. This is before Facebook existed, or at least as far as it existed publicly. This is, this is when cell phones collapsed, you know, in your hand and you could fold them over, you know. <laughs> I told myself I was going to work for my cell phone only. Now, sure, I could have a laptop. I could have a computer, but I'm not going to use them. And I'm not going to have an office. I go to office. I'm not going to have a job. I, I could if I wanted. I'm not, you don't, every, everyone's like, I have to do one or the other. You can do whatever you want, man. Whatever's working. You can, you can switch it up. You can take your kids out of school. You can put them back. That People don't realize that. You, know? you, could, you could do all kinds of things. 
But when I did that, when I said, I'm going to only work for myself, um, when I had a project that would require maybe an office or a computer or people, I had to think differently because I wanted to be able to be anywhere and do whatever I want, whenever I wanted. And I'm, I didn't have all the money in the world. In fact, any money we made, we went on the road for, for example, for six months from, we drove zigzagged from New York to, to San Diego, to Mexico, to Canada, you know, back to Hawaii. All the money we made was made on the road from my cell phone. Now you don't have to, you don't have to have my values. You don't have to have my choices. You don't have to choose to only work from your cell phone. But the question is, remember, ask a better question, get a better answer. What's the one thing I can do that will eliminate a bunch of other decisions and make a bunch of other good things possible that will allow me to be creative? Because if I told myself that this forcing function, this positive constraint would allow me to be free, then I was able to be creative and design an economic strategic moat around my home, which was wherever so, I wanted to be. <laughs> so, the for, so, so the forcing function was a cell phone. Yep. Got it. Okay. You've, you've identified yourself as a minimalist, right? You said you don't, you don't really care about stuff, but I'm assuming that, you know, you've got the laptops, you got good, uh, good podcast equipment. You probably got a nice TV. How do you reconcile stuff in your life versus the idea of being a minimalist and 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 maybe you know maybe you could sort of define how you see what a minimalist is. Okay, that's that's good. Minimalism is almost like a <laughs> it's a philosophy and it's it, people can get obsessed with it in a good way or a bad way. I I'm not necessarily one who says I'm going to be a minimalist for for the sake of minimalism because at that point it's just a matter of just you know being naked and running around the world doing nothing. That's bizarre. Right. Right. <laughs> unless, unless it's not, if that's your thing, that's your thing, you know, right. whatever. But for me, it's more like, what is the stuff that is bogging me down? Mm. Because when you, when you buy something, just like when you choose a certain job, it comes with a consequence. So I own that consequence. People who are maximalists, which is also whatever they want to be, they also need to own the consequence of having that much stuff. It costs a lot. It's expensive. It bogs you down or it doesn't. Maybe it frees you up. So I'm not a purist on like what's right or wrong. More, more of the idea is what will help me and others the most. Someone could apply it to food. Some Two people could eat the same amount of calories and they'd be two different types of calories. In one, it would be healthy for, and the other one, it wouldn't, and vice versa. Maybe they have different things going on in their body where they can't eat that stuff. So it's personal. It's custom. Yeah. It's custom. But th th what makes me the, the, the most sad is when people lie to themselves, maybe even unknowingly, thinking that all this stuff they're going to buy, or all these things they're going to do, or all these seeds they're planting are going to get them what they want in the future, when it never will. You ask someone how their plan went, their 10-year plan, it didn't go to plan. <laughs> it it's, never has gone to plan. It, it's so funny. I had this conversation with a buddy of mine and we've been friends, you know, 15 years now, 20 years. And 
it's probably taken us 20 years to figure this out. Every five years, we talk about our five-year plan. And then one day, one of us looked at each other. We went, has the five-year plan ever worked out in the last 20 years? You know, it just, it doesn't. So if you're 20 and you're listening to this, put the damn plan away. It's not going to happen. There are yeah. too many other variables that happen in life. See, and, and what you're saying right there, that is the positive control we're talking about. Because when you when you keep throwing it out and mortgaging, you know, your future with all these weird thoughts and ideas that you have to first have this happen and then have this happen and then have have this happen. What ends up happening is more of the unknown. More of the unknown. But think about this just as a, as a mental exercise. You don't have to answer, but whoever's listening to you, like, think about this. Who were you 10 years ago? Who were you in 2012? You were a different person in almost every way. Different income, different lifestyle, different people around you, different everything. And so for us to think that in, uh, let's say, 2032, that we're going to have the same goals then that we have now, we're kidding ourselves. I don't want my 2012 goals. Screw those goals. I don't want that crap. So right. that's, that's the beauty of anti-time management because when you live your values from the start, when you bake in your values from the start, you get to live those things right now. Yeah. And, and you get to live multiple lives in that sense. You're not waiting. Someone, the reason we do this, if we, if we, if we were going to take it like from like a social perspective and an economic you know, perspective, we were taught this, yes, because of like the industrial revolution, post-industrial revolution, but there were so many incentives. Wait till you're 65 to retire. There are so many incentives for that. And so we watched our parents, we watched our grandparents, we watched our great grandparents do that. The thing is like that whole philosophy, that whole plan, not only is, wasn't a, it, not only is it not a good idea necessarily, it doesn't work. It's not even a thing. So we're still borrowing 20th century practices and using them in the 21st century. And it's like, what are you doing? You can do anything. And so someone listening is like, I can't do this. I'm already in this stuff. Yeah, you chose that. Don't ever forget it. You can choose your way out of it too. Yeah, for sure. It's like, um, oh God, who's the guy who wrote his name's escaping me now? The chicken soup, Jack Canfield's, um, Canfield. in his, yeah, in his success principles, uh, like it's literally like in the first couple of pages, he said, stop complaining about the dog. You bought it. Uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. No, he's amazing. Jack's a guy. He also, he also endorsed my last book. I love, I love him. Um, he, he also says something about, um, taking 100% responsibility. Yeah, that, it's in that chapter. Right. It's so, in that chapter. So like, like there, there's a lot of ways we, we can do this. There's a lot of tactics. There's a lot of goals. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of strengths and people are like, well, aren't strengths good? Do you know how many people I talk to that don't want to do what they're good at anymore? Mm. Almost everybody. Yeah. They're done. They're really good at it. And that's the challenge. Why did the company have you fill out that strengths test anyway? Oh, it, Oh, to help me be a better worker. You're right. Because why would they promote you and have you do something else and teach you something new? Why would they ever do that when they now have data where you said, this is what you're good at? Why would they ever <laughs> allow you for, to have personal growth into a new area? You got to remember like whether the intent was that or not, that's how it's practiced. That's what a manager does. Why would I, if you're a coder, why am I going to have you do this other thing? Why would I do that? Yeah. Companies weren't designed to grow people. They were designed to grow income. 
Okay, I wanna jump in for 15 seconds and say if you're an entrepreneur grinding away and not taking time to experience extraordinary things around the world with other entrepreneurs, you may wanna join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind to Dubai on November 19th. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. It's really, this is a really interesting point you just made. People don't want to do what they're good at anymore. I, I think everybody listening right now will recognize that there is some skill set that they've had that they've been doing. I don't care if they're a teacher, a doctor, lawyer, doesn't matter, that they can do in their sleep, man. They're just good at it. And they're not interested in it. And I think the other side of that is your point, which is we're not growing. Like if you're continually building the muscle that's built, then after a while you look like that freak bodybuilder who has a, a bicep that's like, you know, hitting the ceiling. Like, like how much bigger are you going to build the muscle? Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you just, you figured it out. You did it. And do you think it's because we're just wired as human beings to grow and it's just intuitive in us oh, to just stop that? 100, 100%. You know, the, the, the desire to, to grow and to become something more and to develop is innate, you know, like that, that is in us, you know, mm. from, from in every piece of us, it's, it's there. I did this funny little, just quick little poll on, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I said something like, would you rather do work your, you hate with a toxic boss? Or would you rather do work you, sorry, let me say it again. Would you rather do work you hate with a good boss or would you rather do work you love with a toxic boss? Overwhelming majority said work they hate with a good boss. Overwhelming. So the idea is that you don't have to. I mean, I would love it if you love your work and love your job. I'm saying you can hate your work and you can still live a great life on value, on purpose, fit to purpose from the start. There's a lot of people that love their jobs and they did not have the personal freedoms that they were hoping they would have. We want work, but we really want peace of mind. And yeah. that's important to remember. When, you know, you're out there in Hawaii and uh, I'm sure that you see people around you that have a, a ton of cash and they buy a beautiful home in Maui overlooking the ocean and, they're going out to amazing restaurants and five-star dinners. Does it ever trigger you to say, I want to build a really big company and I want to sell it for millions and millions of dollars? Does that ever rise up in you? Or do you look at it and say, I don't want the trade-off? Like we use the example with the minimalist where you have to think about the things and what they're what the cost is for those things. Do you now look at things and say, yeah, I'm supposed it would be nice to, you know, have this great house on the ocean or whatever, but I don't want to take the time away from my family, my life, and my freedom to earn that. Does that come so, up for you? No. And I, I would say change how you're paid, change your life. I don't, I don't think that tying money to a, to a workplace are the same thing. 
I do have a company worth millions of dollars. We, we were in 5,000 company. We have no employees. Like, I don't think... When I work with venture capitalists, which, you know, I come from a background of venture capital world too. Uh-huh. When, I, when, I, when I talk to them and they're talking to their people they're going to fund, I go, ha, did you ask them what they're going to do once they're successful? Because I know they're telling you they want to change the world, but they don't really, they really want to make a lot of money. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's both two sides of the same coin. We're going we're, to we're change the world. We're going to make a bunch of money. But if you ask them what they're going to do once they're successful and you bake that in from the start, these companies grow exponentially because you remove yourself as the bottleneck. So inherently in that question, what you're saying is you have to choose yourself as the bottleneck to make a bunch of money. BS. BS. In fact, owners are not on the court. They're not. That's important to remember. For sure. For sure. Tell me more about the company that you have, the, the Inc. 500 company. What is it that you're, you're doing there exactly? Uh, Inc. 5000. In five thousand, probably probably oh. could be five. You, you got you got to apply for these things, so you got to do it at the right time and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but but um, that's called product, and it was um, built out of after I wrote the power of starting something stupid. That's the thing is like one thing leads to another. I could have told myself forever to write a book, and and I just did, and then things happen. But people would come to me and they'd say they needed to have a product made. That was their their stupid idea. And I'm I'm a social entrepreneur. I have a background. My first company was a cashmere company in Mongolia. I've built companies in Samoa, Western Samoa, Philippines, um, Fiji, Cambodia, all over the world, all over the Asia Pacific Rim. And that, so that's where kind of this stupid idea book came from, in addition to other things. So when people came to me and said, I want to start this business and I want to have this stuff, in my mind, I'm about giving people their time and freedom back. And I know how hard it is to make products and do the entire supply chain and do the warehousing and do the distribution and do the fulfillment and all that and all that stuff. And I knew they were never going to do it because it's really hard and it's expensive. So, you know, I asked, you know, a friend, a friend of mine and a friend of mine, they wanted to help put this business together and we did. So today we make over a hundred different products at any given time from my cell phone. And how much of your time do you spend on that business? The the answer is the answer is this is however much I want, and as I say, it's like I should put more time into it. Or I should do this, and it should and it should be that. But when you work with experts, this is a, a very important word. When you work with experts, it's handled. People hire people, and in their mind, they say, "I'm going to train them." Therefore, they've given themselves two jobs: hire the person and train them. Actually, maybe three or four jobs because now they're going to do it. Then the person's going to try and do it and do it wrong. And then you're going to do it for them. This is an endless battle for entrepreneurs and companies. Why not just hire someone that can already do it? Someone that could teach you. One decision eliminates many others and also creates an abundance of other opportunities. So that's how we roll. That was gold right there. Hire someone who's an expert that can teach you. That's really good. And why do you think people don't do that? One side of me says it's because they think they can't afford an expert, yeah. which isn't which isn't true anymore. You go up on you go on Upwork and they're everywhere. Yeah, you don't you don't have to take advantage of anyone ever. I'm not about that. No one's ever suggesting that. You put out the project, you put out a number, they accept it or not, and the good ones they negotiate with you to get to a point where it's worth it for everybody. I was going to say, but your point is. Really, an interesting one because you're you're very good at reframing things, and your point is, 
instead of setting the intention to hire somebody that yes you want to train yes you're saying hire the expert who's so good at it yeah that they can teach you yes and if you don't i personally think it's super selfish not to there's time and, and place for everyone to be trained and to learn but you're telling me there's this person over here who has a family who's worked for years to learn this craft that you're not going to hire them what's wrong with you yeah and they're and, like, what, like seriously who do you think you are like, you know what i mean so so people are like i'm an island unto myself i'm going to do everything i can and i'm going to control every single person and tell them everything they're going to do why in the world would i tell someone what to do when i don't know how to do it myself hello so you hire people to know what they're yeah. doing and you can make anything we're making tiny houses we're making yoga pants we're making journals we're making jewelry we're making high-end clothing the same kind of clothing that high-end brands are using the same factories like the possibilities are endless when you start using these time tipping anti-time management principles there's nothing you can't do oh does it cost all this money well if i have somebody hire me and i'm going to use that money to get all this done and it creates value all the way there's a supply chain there's also a value chain if this creates value all the way back up through do it over and over and over again so like if somebody wants to make a journal or something like that, they would come to your company and you would, you would handle it. Yeah. I made John Lee Dumas's all three of his journals, uh, you know, the freedom journal, the master journal, the podcast journal, you know, we put those on uh Kickstarter. I think the first one raised $453,000 in 33 days. We do stuff, you know, our friends, um, Shalene and Brett, we do, mm. we do stuff, uh, for Russell Brunson, uh, I mean, I mean, the list goes on. There's been a lot of, of, of my myself name dropping here, but it's just, it is what it is. That, that's my world. And why does this happen? It didn't happen fast. It just happened because I wanted to be the other side of the coin to someone's success. I have, I have an editing company where we work. A lot of my clients are YouTubers. They have a million subs or more. They go to Disneyland and they pretend like they're happy because, you know, it's YouTube. But in reality, one's at home while the other one's running around racing, getting the shots and the other one's editing. They're sad. They hate it. It's ridiculous. Richie, how do you do so many things, so many varied things? I don't. I just want to give people their time and freedom back. I want to give them their choice. I want them to do it. I don't care how it gets done. If I can do it in a way that creates time, not takes time from me, that's the key. My intent is how do I do a thing that creates time, not takes time? Changes, the way, I, changes the way I operate. Because it's not how much money you make. It's how you operate that affects your ability to be available. I love that. What does a uh, a typical day look like uh, for for Richie Norton? <laughs> I hate that question because it's, it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually, I want. I here's what I don't want you to do. I don't. Uh, I don't want because we had this conversation with Shalene, you know, and she's like, I feel embarrassed. Like I, you know, like I I rollerblade until noon, and then like I work on two prime, you know, two projects, and then I'm done it in two hours. Like like for you, like like because. I'll tell you're you, an, I'll tell you. you're, an, you're interesting because you've got a super successful company. You have multiple kids. You're incredibly charitable with your time, foster care, you know, raising children. And, and yet you have this other side of freedom. Like, who are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> who am I? It's okay. That question is very important, but, um, I'll say I'll tell you what I do, but I'll, I'll say this to, to listeners: the idea in in work, whether you're an at least to me, whether you're an executive, you're an employee, you're an entrepreneur, everyday stuff, anything that starts with an E, whatever whatever, whatever you are, <laughs> <laughs> your your goal is to set things in motion, not do everything yourself. 
and mm. you set things in motion in a way where you allow people to be talented and you let robots do the crap that robots do. That's the world we live in. Everyone's worried about what's going to happen to jobs. You know what's going to happen? We're going to be more human. All the stuff that was that was just so robotic, you don't have to do anymore, man. Be creative. So, so the idea here is there's a lot of things to do, but even in me saying that I could do all these things, it wouldn't matter if it was off purpose, if it took me away from what I wanted to do. So yesterday I like went, my wife and I went stand up paddling uh, with a couple other couples. So there were six of us for, for two miles from our house all the way down to another, another spot. And my son came and picked us up in the, in the truck and we drove back. You know, that was, that was my day yesterday. And also yesterday I put together an email sequence for the launch of my new book and sent it to some contractors that will put it on my website and allow me to create, you know, a bucket without holes so that I can serve more people who end up buying my book and sending them bonuses, you know? So in one sense, it was like a big day. Of course, I had calls and did these other things, but this is how I roll. I don't use an alarm clock unless I have to because I something something's going to happen. But I learned living in Hawaii and having so many time zones because I'm working with people in China, Vietnam, Mexico, Europe. Um, and then, of course, everybody from New York to California. I could be on the phone or on the computer every hour of every day. And it would be a normal time for someone. So like for me and you, you're in Italy, I'm in Hawaii, we're 12 hours apart. Like it could be constant and it is constant. But I decided one day, I'm not, if someone from New York wants to talk to me at nine in the morning, their time, I'm not getting up at three. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. We're going to schedule this thing (laughs) at nine, my time. You know what I mean? At three, your time. And you know what I found out? Mm. Nobody cares. Nobody cared. No one cares. No one cares at all. It's fantastic. That's the cool thing is when you put life first, when you're a responsible person, stuff still still gets done. So I'll wake up when I need to wake up naturally. I think alarm clocks are very unnatural, but it just, you wake up, I wake up uh, naturally. Sometimes I wake up earlier, sometimes I wake up later. I go and walk my dog on the beach and while I'm walking the dog and I'll, I'll do some exercising, running, pushups, whatever, uh, just some light stuff. I'll, if I want to, I'll do some phone calls with some of my business partners and see what's going. I'll get back, you know, the rest of the family's up doing their thing. We're kind of just chilling and, and, and hanging out at, at the house, you know? Sure, we got Netflix on, we got, we got whatever's going on. And then when I want to go surfing or really what happens is, and I had to be really careful when I was writing my book that I was um, with an integrity of what I was teaching. Even when I was writing my book, when I get like deep, like deep and I'm like in the thought I'm doing something and then like, one of my kids will come and, hey, dad, can we go surf? Or, hey, hey, can you take me to town? Or can you go do this thing? I did it. I didn't, mm. I, I, that, I did it as an experiment too. Like, if I stop work to do the thing that's the reason I'm working, will something bad happen? Nothing bad happened, man. In fact, it gave me more time to think about it. So, about whatever you're working on. Yeah. So, I mean, people are like, they think it has to be another way, but they don't want it to be that way. Yeah. So I say, what do you want? Test it out, man. You'll see, you'll see some magic happen there. You're, you're, you're more creative than you know. What does your uh, writing process look like? Was it a couple hours a day? 
Do you write one page a day? Do you write 1500 words? Like what was your, how did you think about, because I have a lot of people listening that may want to write a book. So this book too, by the way, took, took years to write. And that's the thing is like when something really is important, it, dreams get done when, when there's, when there's deadlines, right? It, they don't get done until they're due, but still getting it done for the sake of getting it done. Wasn't the purpose hmm. getting it done. Right. However long it took was the purpose. Hmm. So over time, years, literally years I've written, I've been working on this book. Whenever I get a thought, I will write it down in notes, like a, mm -hmm. like a, like a bullet or yep. I'll write it. I'll write it in an email to myself and label it under, under these ideas. Yep. Yeah. I, when I grew up, I'm from San Diego originally, but I grew up like a punk rocker guy. And so I was always writing music, writing everything down, you know, paper, paper and pen. Mm -hmm. I have crappy handwriting. I could never read it, but that was like, that was my, my practice. So someone wants to become an author. Here's how I do it. Eventually you have this stack of like tens or hundreds, possibly thousands of just bullet points of ideas. It can mm -hmm. be one word, one idea about a story, one, whatever. Then when I get the idea for the book or whatever it is, I'll create a chapter outline. It's a draft. It can be whatever it can change. And I'll organize those bullets underneath the chapters. Now, all of a sudden I have a book, what is starting to look like a book. Then I'll go and I'll write like a paragraph of what this would be about. Now, all of a sudden I have this outline, you know, of, of a book, which can turn into a proposal and then I can flush it out. And I usually try to hit all the different angles with, you know, a story, a principle, a call to action, any, any facts or statistics that are relevant. And uh, the hard thing about writing is it's not just about writing. You'll, you, I mean, you, you read my books, you'll see like, it has to be engaging. Like people have to like, it can be interesting, but it also needs to be applicable. And so I'll try to write things in a way, almost like poetry, where it's really easy to like remember it or to say it or to yeah. share it so it sticks. And then do you send it out to publishers or you self-publish? This book's published by Hachette. They're one of the top five publishers in the world. And to get to them, I needed an agent. And my agent is amazing. And she worked with me for years, honestly, on the proposal. And when I say years, it was again, it, it's like, why did it have to take that long? It didn't, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. It didn't, but it did. Yep, I got it. All right. So listen, as we uh, wrap up here, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, this is sort of like about you. And these may be some weird questions. And you may be like, why is he asking me this? So just, ro <laughs> just roll with it. Um, what would your friend say is one of your superpowers? Listening. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? Oh yeah. I collect guitars. <laughs> what do people never ask you, but you wish they would? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that question. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, um, you know, if you interview Lance Armstrong or something, you know, Lance Armstrong, he, he gets asked that question all the time, but he wished that somebody would ask him, you know, about is there anything, anything hits you in that area. Um, I like it when people ask me about my dog, Velzy. He's with me 
everywhere I go when I'm walking the beach, like he he's heard more of these wild business phone calls that I have than than any anyone else on earth. <laughs> All the things that dog could tell. <laughs> uh, I bet. What yeah. book have you reread the most or listened to? There's a book called Banker to the Poor by Muhammad Yunus. And that uh-huh. book completely changed my life in so many ways. Uh, again, my purpose always in business wasn't to make money, although money and meaning go together, make all the money you can. It's always been to help people uh, become self-reliant through self-employment, have more choice, have more freedom, have more time. And his book talks about helping people work their way out of poverty through microfinancing. He's the father of, of, of microfinancing. And it's, 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 it's an old book, but it's powerful stuff. Wow. What's your guilty pleasure? Two more questions. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 I'll tell you that the first thing it comes on, I'm doing the keto thing and we have this keto ice cream and it just tastes so good, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll mix it in with like other stuff. Oh man. I don't know. Keto ice cream. That, that sounds like a stupid guilty pleasure, but it was the first no, thing that came to my mind. No, no, no. It's good. <laughs> all right. We're going to change. Not guilty at all. It's a good stuff. We'll change it up a bit. <laughs> what one question would you like to ask me? Oh, what's it like over there with your family? What what brought you there? How long have you been there so far in Europe? Well, um, what's it like is a, a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I am uh, th- this may help a little bit because you're an author and I am uh, someone who is um, kind of at the stage of beginning to write my own little book, and it's about uh, nature, 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 nurture, and neighborhood, cool. um, and how neighborhood really affects everything. You can't do a lot to change nature or nurture, but you can change your neighborhood. And, you know, when you walk down the beach with your dog uh, and you're looking at that ocean, you feel different. When I'm looking out at my terrace and I'm looking out uh, over a city that Michelangelo, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, et cetera, have walked the streets. Leonardo da Vinci lives, one lived, he's dead now, but lived- He's still there. He's still there. (laughs) Lives one block, lived one block away. Um, And it changes everything. How you eat, how you think when the church bells ring, you know, in a couple of minutes when we hit the top of the hour and it rings, I feel differently when I go to dinner, which I'm about to go to now. And, you know, I'm trying to communicate with uh, the waiter and my, uh, my Spanglish, you know, Um, it, it's just so it's everything but the short answer is i about why we moved we wanted to change we wanted to have a better quality of life um we wanted things like family um culture um and not this obsessive work environment that we were in in america it's particularly LA where I was last. Um, We wanted to be around people that didn't value that so high and they valued art and history and wine and food and family and culture. Um, And we knew that putting ourselves in that environment would change how we view it. You know what I mean? It's 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 probably why you moved to Hawaii. No, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And I mean, that's such a profound like lesson for everybody here. Like 
you're you're living this. Like you wanted, you you could have said, when we retire, when our kids are grown, that that's what people say. Yeah, you could you could have said, how am I going to make uh, money over there? But you went and you figured out how to make money there. That's what we're talking about. That's it. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna end it on that note because this this was a uh, this was a great. Uh, great show. People are going to get a lot from this. Um, are there any final words, suggestions, or an ask for people listening? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I said it several times, but I wanted to sink in, ask a better question, get a better answer. So every time you're like, you're like, I have, I want to do this, but I have to do that. Ask yourself, do I really have to do that? How can I do this thing without that bad thing happening right now? And you, you might not know the answer immediately but it comes and it comes in waves and ride it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Richie, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Um, you can always go to richnorton.com and you'll find my book there. It's on Amazon, everywhere else. And I have free resources to help people. I even have a challenge to help people like walk through these steps to, to make it happen in their life. And uh, it's a lot of fun, man. That's a lot. We're going to, we're going to link everything up in the show notes. Dude, thank you so much. That was a great interview. I really appreciate it. That was so fun. You got it. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.